with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Uh, it's Eric Allen. I'm your host for today in After 9. My guest today is uh, James Steedle. We're going to talk a little bit, Steedle, I guess, I always get it wrong. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a bit uh, about the bird population and how it's impacted by clear cuts, logging, and other logging. And uh, then we'll get into uh, <clears throat> trying to get into some idea of what we could do for uh, the Prince George area in creating new and uh, different types of jobs. So uh, I'm going to just let James go. He's he's the expert, and he's done some. Uh, I don't know if he's an expert, but at least he knows more about the birds than I do. I wanted to start this off about saying we're going to talk about the birds, the bees, and uh, the bears. And the forests and the trees. How's that for a mouthful? That, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, um, this is a real two for two for me. I, I was on here yesterday with Echo. I don't know how many of you guys were listening to the show yesterday. We did kind of touch on a little bit of this stuff. So I'll try not to repeat myself. But um, actually, I'm not the expert, Eric. You're absolutely right. The experts were those people I went birding with. Like, holy man. Those those people were just unbelievable. Um, Serge Wolf was one of the guys. Uh, Emily Williams was another uh, one of the birders that went out with us and it's just amazing to go out with these people that are that are as uh i don't know how else to describe it genius might be might be a word i mean these you can't really go to school for bird watching right and it's not i think the watching part's a bit of a mis, misnomer because they're mostly listening and they just hear a little noise off in distance and they know exactly what kind of bird it, bird it is and there's you know dozens of these little guys that you've never even heard of before and they can identify them just from the sound of that they're that they're making. So yeah, we walked through those um, the two different cut blocks here. Uh, one had been sprayed four times, and coincidentally, that was also the, the one of the very first uh, blocks that I planted as my career as a tree planter back in 1998. It was pretty interesting to see what I had done with with my time on that cut block, right? I know I don't think it was entirely my fault, but I do remember we planted probably mostly pine trees there. There's a lot of Douglas fir when it was logged, and then it was sprayed four times, and it was basically just a pure pine plantation. A few spruce trees, a few little Douglas firs, and uh, it was practically devoid of bird life. And then we did another experiment right on the other side of the gun range. And I, I know you brought up the point of, well, maybe the guns scared off the birds, but they were actually both equal distance to the main uh, gun range there. And uh, the deciduous block with lots of green leafy trees, had lots of cottonwoods, lots of birches, uh, lots of aspens, and the bird life was just astounding. It was, I think we got 250% more bird numbers and about 170% more species. Hmm. So it was, it was quite the difference. And, you know, you magnify that across the landscape, like we're talking millions of birds. Yeah, I was just thinking that. If we look at... Uh I mean, birds are in trouble long before we had or had uh, clear-cut logging in that. But, uh, you know, high-rise apartments, for one, especially in the bigger cities. And the spray that they use in uh, in some of the uh, prairie farms now. Oh, yeah. It's no good for birds. And, uh, of course, windmills, they say, for generating electricity is not too healthy for them. And I don't know if... You know what the numbers are, or how they're impacted, but each one of these, and of course, cats. Cats kill yep. millions of birds in a year, so they're under pressure from, or being assaulted from all directions. 
And I can remember when I was younger, it wasn't unusual to see canaries around here and bluebirds and that type of thing, and down through South Fort George and along the river. You don't see them anymore. And when you do see one, if you're way out in the bush hunting or picking berries or something, and you see one, you're kind of flabbergasted because you hadn't seen one for so long. Yeah. So uh, this yeah, those those neonics on the prairies—that's a that's a really important topic. And and again, you know, it's it's kind of the same argument they use with the glyphosate is that it's not—it's basically based on nicotine, right? Uh, these these new pesticides and they're non-toxic. They'll tell you to most bird bird and animal life, you know, if they. But the but the thing they're ignoring is that you know it's toxic to insects. Well, that's what they eat. Okay, and if yeah. you take if you take out their food across huge huge areas and you look at some of these prairie farms now like all the small farmers have been kicked off the off the land and it's these big major mega corporations uh doing basically monocrop agriculture across huge areas and then they're all getting treated well there's no food there and the birds are going to be the birds are going to be impacted that's it's just one of those little ways that i think we're kind of overlooking the big picture and you know pardon the expression but we're not we're not able to see the forest for the trees anymore yeah, exactly. So we have uh, we have those situations, and then well, the one we're in right now is, of course, logging. Uh, how should we be logging, and uh, what's the best way to look after our forests going forward? And it seems that, of course, we've got two or three different uh, uh, vested interest groups that have different ideas on how this should be done. And, and the average citizen, like, I don't know about anybody else, but I can't stay on top of all this stuff. There's too many things yeah. going on too often that, you know, you just can't stay on top of it. So we try to do it topic by topic, subject by subject. But, you know, if we get into the latest with the NDP and the deferrals, I think it was 2.6 uh, million hectares or something of old growth forest. But it was a deferral. And yet during the election, uh, they were going to uh, protect some of that. So you got a two-year deferral contingent on First Nations uh, uh, whether or not they want to log it. And if they decide they want to log it, then they can go ahead and log uh, whatever part of that old-growth forest is on their uh, territory. So, you know, you might end up, it looks like on the surface that maybe we have a solution there, but if you look a little farther down the road, it looks like maybe we don't. Oh, yeah. I mean, a perfect perfect example, uh, so I was down, down the Blackwater Road yesterday, uh, but down by Punchaw Lake, and I ran into a couple government uh, researchers. Are they're looking at um, mustelid populations? So they're looking at fishers and martens, uh, and they're like, "There's you know, there's only a couple spots where they where they can find these things out there." And I brought up, uh, well, yeah, and I just logged a bunch of more old growth Douglas fir down the Taco Road, right off the the Blackwater River. And there's like not very much down there, right? It's all being logged. There's a couple of big old patches of Douglas fir. And they're like, yeah, we saw that, and they're logging more as we speak. It's like you're right, Eric. You can't keep on top of this. It's just, it's just endless. Like it's relentless. And, the, and these big companies, they have no, they're not committing to saving anything. Okay, they've got a license to log, and if it's not a park, it's all going to get logged, guys. Okay, it's all we're going to lose it all, a hundred percent of it, and they're going to replace it all with pine plantations. Okay, they're not reforesting Douglas fir. Let's let's get that no. straight. They're they're planting them back, and they're not they're, they're not uh, a clear cut is not a condition where Douglas fir like to grow. They're not they're we're not reproducing them. So why are we logging something that we're not replacing? And, and nobody well the Forest Practices Board they actually did a report 
talking about exactly that, saying that they're not reforested, but this is more with the southern interior. They're not able to regrow the Douglas fir. They're all dying in the sun. They, they like to have a little bit of shade. They like to grow in partially harvested things. Well, that's not what we're doing. We're clear-cutting the Douglas fir. We're creating these wide-open clear-cuts. And then, like, you get things like birch that grow back that the Douglas fir like to grow with the birch. We cut the birch down. And then we wonder why the Douglas fir isn't regenerating, why we have these pine plantations everywhere. Well, I was watching uh, last night on uh, the Knowledge Channel. <clears throat> there was a show on there on the uh, history of BC Forest or something. And it was really interesting. And, it, and uh, uh, they had the part of it was about Clykewood Sound, what took there, what it took to stop uh, the clear-cut logging there and some of the valleys that they were able to save. I think there was five or six big valleys that were slated to be clear-cut. And it didn't happen, but it didn't happen because the First Nations stood on the road and absolutely didn't allow them to do that. Uh, and they could do it because it was their territory. And uh, But, you know, in, in other areas, you know, they might form a, a, a partnership or something with a logging company and go in and log certain areas that might not have happened if it was set aside for, uh, you know, by the government for uh, forever, actually. So we've got these different groups, all kind of either working together, working against each other, you know, so what's going on? I mean, we never hear anything uh, too much from the forest companies. And uh, like James says, I mean, they've got the contract to log it. They're going to log it. And if you listen or look up that Knowledge Network uh, um, uh, documentary on on, uh, the history of B.C. and forests, you'll see exactly what he's talking about. I mean, it's logged uh, down on the island all over the place. And I'll tell you something, it's a hell of a mess. Yeah. Well, you you bring up a a pretty good point there, you know, like... um Indigenous people, they've got the, the land rights to these places and, and what's going on? How come they can't shut down logging? And the reality is that corporations are in control of all of us. Okay, like, um, if you don't have an economic opportunity and the forest, these big corporations come in and offer you money and there's nothing else coming in anywhere else, like, you're over a barrel. You're gonna, you're gonna go for it. Like, there's no other opportunities. Uh, they're, they're gonna be in control. I think that's what's happening is, is these, these big corporations are kind of playing us off each other and uh, we don't really have an alternative. And I, I think, you know, it's nice to, I don't know, are we going to talk for 45 minutes, uh, Eric, or am I on for half an hour? Or? It's half hour, 9.30, yeah. Okay, so maybe do you want to, it's quarter after, do you want to talk about some, uh, should we start getting more positive here? Or? Yeah, yeah, we should get into some ideas of, uh, of what we can do. I, I just would like people to be thinking that, you know, you might have, a fu- have to find an alternate way to earn a living in this country in the not-too-distant future. And so wouldn't it be, probably be a good idea to start thinking about it now? Yeah, well, I, I, think, uh, I think there's lots of things that we can do. I've got, got a few ideas in that respect. Um, so we're going to take a break here in about three minutes. But uh, in the meantime... Uh, yeah, I just want to get back to having people think about what's going on and, and maybe relate your your job to how it relates to forestry and how it's going to be here if forestry is gone. And, uh, you you know, this whole thing I always refer to as Rip Van Winkle. He went to sleep for 100 years, and when he woke up, he didn't have a clue what was going on around him. And he had to do a lot of catch-up, and that's what's happening to us now. 
we've been sleeping for a long time. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was talking with my uh, my parents of. They, they moved here from the States in the early 70s, and I was talking with them last night about all the things we used to have in Prince George, and of course you're, you're well aware of all this. And but We used to have a couple of pretty big egg farms in town, didn't we? Yep, we did. We had the yeah, one we down had Vikings uh, out, out of town, and then we had one at uh, uh, Shalako River there, Shalako Farms. Yeah, and um, we don't have those anymore, so our eggs, what, were they're, they're getting brought in from, from Abbotsford. Well, if we're going to get into this, I mean, there's a little story behind that uh, that I found rather interesting, but it, it actually shows what happens to us. Now, one of these egg farms had a, you know, it all comes under the egg marketing board, and you get a quota. So you get a license, you get a quota, and then everybody's on this, supposedly on a level playing field, except there was only one in the interior in Prince George, and they had to, to get to market, they had to haul all their eggs to Vancouver. And uh, and they had to pay the transportation costs, so they tried to get a reduction from the government, the marketing board for their uh, transportation costs. And well, let, me, let me get this straight: they were hauling our eggs down to Vancouver. Well, that's where the big market is, yeah. And then they would ship them back up to us. No, no, they would have the, probably the local market stuff here. But in order to stay in the egg business and compete with those big farms, because I know that's what happens with the milk, right? The milk yeah, from Smithers was thing. getting same is thing. getting trucked. Like they yep. don't distribute it here first; it goes down south and then it comes back north again. Yep. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know if the eggs the eggs definitely do that now because what happened is <clears> they they lost, they couldn't compete, so they went out of business, and then the the license went to Abbotsford, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, like, we got to stand back and, and look at what's happened here in Prince George in the last couple of years. My entire life, I've never seen run-on food in the grocery stores before. And we've we've had that happen in the last two years for two entirely different reasons, uh, that neither of which we first foresaw, right? And I, I think that's just absolutely crazy, like how it's really exposed the vulnerability uh, that we face up here up north, and, and I think we got to talk about that. Okay, we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we'll talk about it. Thanks. If you are a lover of old-time fiddle music, tune in to 93.1 CFIS-FM every Tuesday evenings. There will be newer pieces by original artists as well as traditional. You will hear polkas, waltzes, foxtrots, and many other toe-tapping pieces by fiddlers here in B.C. and across Canada. Fiddle Fest is hosted by AJ and brought to you by the B.C. Old-Time Fiddlers, Prince George Branch 1. I will keep you informed of upcoming events brought to you by the fiddlers. So join me, AJ, for Fiddle Fest on Tuesday evenings from 6 to 8. This year's Small Business BC Awards will be announced during a virtual gala on April 28th. The awards recognize contributions and achievements of BC small business owners. Winners and finalists split a prize pool of $15,000. Full details on the Small BC Business Awards, along with nomination and voting links, are available at smallbusinessbc.ca slash awards. The nomination and voting deadline for the 2022 Small Business BC Awards is February 28th. Theatre Northwest is back on the stage for the 2021-22 season with a play based on a women's hockey team from the 1930s. Glory by Tracy Power is the story of the Preston River Lats, with several of the on-ice scenes set to swing music tunes from the era. It's a piece of Canadian history few are aware of. Glory is on stage at Theatre Northwest in the Park Hill Centre through February 23rd with COVID protocols in place. 
Tickets for Glory, presented by Theatre Northwest, are available through theaternorthwest.com. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, cloudy with a 70% chance of flurries or showers. Wind from the south at 20K, a high of 1, a wind chill this morning to minus 8. Tonight, partly cloudy. Wind from the northwest at 20 this evening, a low of minus 5 with a wind chill to minus 9. On Wednesday, mainly sunny, increasing cloudiness late in the afternoon, wind up to 15, and a high of 4. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, uh, myself and James, and we're still going to kick around some ideas of what we can do or maybe have some suggestions on creating jobs in uh, in this area. And we were just discussing that at one time all the distribution and, and warehousing for the Central Interior was in Prince George. Now, I'm talking now about... W.H. Malkins, Kelly Douglas, Sladen Stewart, and a number of the uh, lumber yards. Your uh, bigger, uh, what they call stock items, I guess, like canned goods, soup, milk, flour, uh, cereals, everything came in by rail car from Vancouver to the warehouses here, and then they were distributed. The meat came in from... Uh, the meatpacking plants in Edmonton, and then they were distributed around town. So it was a big distribution center. And then all of a sudden, and of course the eggs, which we touched on us, and and the milk, which was Dairyland. So they're all gone. They're all gone, and they're they're all on either Vancouver, Edmonton, or Calgary. And that's where the big distribution is. And then uh, it comes this way. And like I just said to James, you can have a truck leave Vancouver at 6 o'clock in the evening, and you can get to your eggs... uh, in one of the grocery stores here by 8 o'clock in the morning. So oh. that's kind of what we're up against. So I'll let James go from here. Well, I bought some bread the other day, uh, some Dempster's bread. Like, where, where is that coming from, Toronto? Uh, probably Vancouver, yeah. That's, but it could be Toronto. Yeah. I mean, how come we can't make our own bread here? That's, well, that's what had, I don't get. We had and we've got here. the pastry chef down downtown that was making bread. And we had the Ritz Bakery that would make bread. Both those places are shut down. <laughs> so... It's like it's getting worse, you know. We should be it should be going the other way, and it's just uh, we've had these these crazy shocks to our, our food system, and and here we are uh, going backwards. And of course, uh, meat packing. I mean, you mentioned that a lot of the meat came in from Edmonton, but uh, it wasn't even that long ago where where local beef producers could get their beef uh, processed at Chilaco or Homesteaders, you know, and and they could actually sell it to the public. And you can't do that anymore. So now it's all got to be inspected. At a federally inspected facility, we've got one in town, the Kwano Meats, but uh, good luck getting uh, getting an animal brought in there. You're going to have to wait six months. Like, the capacity isn't there. And so in the meantime, we're, we're reliant on these uh, cargills, these, these humongous meat uh, packing industries in Alberta uh, that basically dominate the entire industry. If so I, and could, I, think if this, I could this, just make a quick note. Yeah, yeah. We've got Cobb's Bakery now. Okay. So we've got Cobb's who bake their own stuff Oh, that, that's locally. A, but, yeah. But you're right, most of the other places are gone. But just just while we're on the the bakery aspect of it, we did have a bakery here. It was called Allen's Bakery on 2nd Avenue. And uh, they baked bread, again, all for the north central interior. They had trucks going west every day and south to Quinnell or whatever. A number of people worked there. You went down there and bought it. You could buy a day old. And we had uh, Dempsters and that up on... uh, the Cutter Light there, up until just recently, they they brought in a lot of bread, but you could buy Dale there. you go in and shop and get a better price for bread. Yeah. I think that's gone now. We had uh, what was called Rose's Ice Cream. We made our own ice cream and orange crush in Prince George. No kidding. 
Oh, no, we did. And it was uh, trucked all the way to Prince Rupert Terrace, Kitimat, huh. the whole central interior. And then Coca-Cola is still here, but Orange Crush and, and uh, Ice Cream shut down because of the competition from Vancouver. You just can't compete. Well, if, the, if uh, and that's why I think we got to factor in. Um, there's got to be some way to, to help us compete, you know, Um I don't know what the what the solution is there, but I think we need to make it more profitable for the local companies to start operating and, and start producing. And I think that's how we're going to get our self-sufficiency back because there, there has to be a certain value put on self-sufficiency, right? There, if, if you're all entirely dependent for your, your food and your basic supplies on these outside places that you can get cut off from, uh, there's a cost to that, you know, and that needs to be factored into the those supplies somehow. Um, well, we have bad, uh, well, not bad, but I mean, if... If you look, you would think, as an example, that if we're in a place where most of the two-by-fours in uh, British Columbia are made and uh, and the, the only second uh, refinery in B.C. is in Prince George, the other one's in Burnaby, you would assume that you should be able to get cheap lumber and cheap gas. Yeah. But it doesn't work that way. We oh. pay the same for our gas as they do in, in uh, oh, not other only. parts of the province, and we pay the same or more for our two by fours. Well, not only that, Eric, we don't even get the, the all the good stuff gets shipped out. We get the uh, the lower grades. They they save that for us. Unless, oh yeah, the, unless the, you the get top customers special. get the best product. Oh yeah, yeah. the same thing with uh, somebody came up here from the uh, Soya selling uh, cherries. And they were out at uh, the turnoff to the airport there, and I went and bought some. Man, tell you, those were good cherries. You don't get and, those in the stores. And I said, uh, "Are you going to be here next week? Because I want some more of these." He said, "I won't have any more next week." And I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "They're all going for, to Germany from now on." <laughs> so even on the, on the yeah. fruit, we don't get the best. Yeah, you know, we can talk about like how to make these incentives, or if you know, like to subsidize local production. Maybe that's not the way to go. Maybe it's just a matter of. Of uh, making the regulations uh, more conducive to local production, and, and I think one good example of that is is beef production. You know, and and being able to sell hamburger to local people. If you've got a farm here in Prince George, like good luck trying to sell legally sell hamburger to to your local people. You know, um, and then so this is entirely the the result of regulations. And why do we have these regulations in place? You know, and why 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 do we have this all this red tape put in place and and well, why can't, now, why can't we go back on that? And, and you know, these the, the, the food safety issues, is, which is what they're going to go back to, and you're going to have way more food safety issues in a massive slaughterhouse in Alberta than you are with a mom-and-pop-owned uh, processing facility, you know, at a small scale right here locally. There's more accountability. You know, there's going to be more pride in ownership and, and pride in the product. You know, these big, these big multinationals, they don't care. I think... Uh I was thinking the last couple of days, I kind of thought, twittered through my brain, is that uh, we're not going to get these big producers and, and production people to lower their price or change their model. I mean, some of that meat comes all the way from Australia, New Zealand, South America, all through the U.S., Canada. And they go to these big uh, slaughterhouses, and then it's all mixed together. So if somebody did end up having uh, hoof and mouth disease, they don't even know where the cow came no. from, yeah. which is, I think, one of the reasons they do that. But anyway, so how do we get control or some control over the price? Well, what you got to do is you still go to Walmart or whatever, the different stores that give you low prices on a lot of different commodities, but then you make a personal decision. 
a third or whatever of my money that I spend on groceries or locally or I'll spend it locally. You know, that way you don't cut out the local guy altogether and he can, you know, he has a market and the big boys have a market. And I mean, I do that all the time. People look at me like I'm nuts if I spend $7 for a dozen eggs at the farmer's market when I get them for $3 at Walmart. But, you know, who do I want to support? The no. farmer? Yeah. And, and, and the eggs or, or Walmart? And that money that you, you know, you spend more money on those eggs, that money stays in Prince George and it comes back to you. Right. And that's, I think what people forget is like, if you're, if you're spending money on these big corporations, that's, that's leaving a country. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not, that's not sticking around here. And the other, I just want to put a little plug out for, you know, I do probably 90% of my grocery shopping at Foothills Foods and Jolly Market. I know we're probably not supposed to endorse companies on air, but, uh, these are small companies that uh, get, have excellent products. So like Jolly Market, uh, that would buy Vanway there. You can get Lawrence, uh, meat products there. That's, that's, uh, from Dawson Creek. That's, you know, not a huge slaughterhouse from Alberta. That's a really good product. Uh, they got these, uh, these pierogies from Saskatchewan that you can't get in any of the big Savons or anywhere else. Uh, you know, they get in some nice, uh, fresh produce and, and they actually bake their own bread too. So we can't get away from the fact that I'm not knocking Walmart or the big stores or whatever. That's, that's their business model and they know how to look after it. But locally, if I want to do something, then I have to do it on my own. So then I'll go down and do shopping locally and split it, split the difference between the two of them. We're going to go for a breakdown. We'll be back in a few seconds. Teen Art Showcase 2022 is set for March at your public library. Culminating with an awards reception in the Keith Gordon Room on April 2nd, award categories include Best Overall, Best Original, Best Use of Materials, Social Commentary, and People's Choice. All art mediums will be accepted. For more information, email lredpath at studio2080.com. Art Showcase 2022, on for the month of March at the Prince George Public Library. Art pieces must be ready for submission on February 25th or 26th. The next NRESI colloquium is set for Friday at 3.30. UNBC's Dr. Alex Lottensock will be on Zoom to give the talk Beyond Carbon. Deep adaptation is a comprehensive means for communities to address the Anthropocene polycrisis. The talk will be available to attend in person, but masks must be worn. That's UNBC's Dr. Alex Lottensock and Beyond Carbon. Deep adaptation as a comprehensive means for communities to address the Anthropocene polycrisis. The next NRESI Colloquium, 3.30 Friday in Room 7-212 at UNBC. The Prince George Council of Seniors is in need of volunteers for the Seniors Resource Center front desk. Volunteers work regular three- to four-hour shifts once per week, answering the telephone and greeting people. You must be double vaccinated for COVID to volunteer and have a friendly manner, good communication skills, plus a criminal record check. For more information or to apply, email info.pgcos at gmail.com or drop by the Seniors Resource Center at 721 Victoria Street to pick up an application form. A creative exhibit on now at Two Rivers Gallery investigates the often overlooked role of sound within social relations of power. The politics of sound is in through April 10th and expands the understanding of how sound has varying material effects within society. Check out The Politics of Sound through April 10th at Two Rivers Gallery, open 10 to 5 Tuesday through Saturday until 9 Thursday and noon to 5 Sunday, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, 
Just to finish off uh, what we're talking about uh, with the food and distribution and that, it's just, you know, if, if we support both or try to support both the local people and get the uh, cost savings from the big big stores, then we can, we can have the best of both worlds. And uh, one uh, mantra is to eliminate jobs as much as possible, which is, that's, that's what they do. And the smaller one, we know, it, they tell us all the time, it's a small business that creates all the jobs in Canada. So we should be supporting them too if we want to keep and hang on to the jobs for people in the future. So that's just my take on it for the moment. And uh, James, do you want to just finish Yeah, off no, I, I think I think food, uh, talking about... Um you know, how, how we're going to diversify our economy. And I think food's a big one. And it's not just, you know, making food on a farm. I think it's also, we also have to factor in wild, wild meat and wild food, you know, and, and back to the, the stop the spray movement. I think that's kind of one of the, one of the big things for me is why we got to stop spraying, why we got to got, stop cutting down the aspen and the birch is because that's basically your, the aspen and birch and your deciduous, that's your crop for your moose and your, and your deer and your elk and, uh, if you've got more of that on the landscape, you're going to have more moose. You're going to have more hunting opportunities. You're going to have more trapping opportunities. Uh, and this is this is a way for um, for us to get by in the landscape. You know, other than other than eating, you know, you can't eat two by fours. No, I agree. So. And the other one we didn't touch on is that you know one of our our backups for creating jobs in this province is tourists. Yeah. And if we decimate everything we have that the tourists come to see, we're going to lose the tourist industry too. Yeah. No, we're 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 basically destroying a way of life out there in the land. Or you, we're erasing identity and and heritage and and all sorts of stuff that we just uh we're not paying enough attention to cuz it's out of sight out of mind. Too much of us, too many of us are stuck here in the cities and watching video games and and Netflix and we're just out of touch. Okay. And then when the when those uh, shelves at the stores go empty, I think uh we're going to realize how out of touch we have been. Okay, so we're going to let that one ride for now. I've got uh, uh, Herb on there and, and uh, Peter, Peter Ewart and Herb Martin. James is going to stay with us. And we're going to try to make heads or tails out of this uh, emergency act, what it means, and if anybody can figure out why it was called. And I think we'll start with Peter. In terms of why it was called, yeah, well... Well, just the whole the whole thing, Peter. However, you want to attack okay. it. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, the first thing I want to say is that I, that, that I'm uh, against the Freedom Convoy in terms of its aims and and its tactics and uh, all the economic problems that it's caused and all this. But that being said, uh, I think at the same time I think that the Trudeau government bringing in this Emergencies Act, this is way overreach and. Uh, we have a situation where existing municipal, provincial, and federal legislation and regulation, you know, could be used to deal with the situation, but has not been used. And this has been very frustrating for the people of Ottawa, uh, the, the people on um, the, the, the truckers trying to get across the border, and so on. The fact that um, existing uh, legislation is, and so on has not been used, and it, it shows the you know, the incompetence at, at various levels of government, including the Trudeau uh, level of government in terms of how it's operated. You know, like we have a situation where Trudeau was missing in action, it seems, for much of the last several weeks. But now it's going from pillar to post. He's going from missing in action to government overreach. And uh, 
a number of organizations are, are opposed to this. Canadian Civil Liberties Association is opposed. It says it's overreach. And uh, a number of the provinces are opposed. So uh, my concern about it is that they're using, bringing in this legislation, and it could be used in the future against indigenous people, environmental people, you know, community protests of, of various kinds. And it creates, it creates a kind of precedent. You know, and so the first time in history we're getting uh, this uh, legislation imposed upon us, you know, where rights are being suspended and all kinds of powers. Like, why should Trudeau be rewarded for the incompetence of what he's done in terms of uh, his government has done in terms of this whole thing? You know, by, why should he be re rewarded by uh, giving him this legislation which puts all kinds of powers in his hands? So, you know, my, my view is that um, we really need to look at the whole democratic process and look at a situation whereby we can put more power in the hands of people rather than uh, leaving it to the, uh, the governments which are incapable of dealing with this kind of situation. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, with most of that, Peter. There's, but you know, sometimes, usually in, in politics, there's a hidden agenda. There's something going on that we don't know anything about. And to me, this looks like a classic example. You know, get all your attention drawn over here because we got a serious problem over there. So <clears throat> there's other ways you could look at. It. I got a couple quotes today. I want to just throw in there. Uh, William Tecumseh Sherman: If nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. That was his take on it. Uh, Milton Friedman, if you put the federal government in charge of the Sahara Desert, in five years there'd be a shortage of sand. <laughs> and then Mark Twain, suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. <laughs> That's just a few <laughs> that I thought were quite funny, really. And uh, we should remember... Like Napoleon Bonaparte, in politics, stupidity is not a handicap. <laughs> <laughs> and then this Nicola Machiavelli, politics have no relation to morals. So that's just uh, something. Now we'll go to our, I guess we got to go to a break. So we'll be back shortly. Theatre Northwest has a great spring break camp for ages 13 to 19. Youth Theatre Camp is a week-long intensive camp for teens. Participants will learn and practice fundamental theatre skills while collaborating on playwright Julian Legere's new adaptation of Jordan Tannehill's award-winning play, Rihanna Boy 95. For more information or to sign up, visit the Playwriting and Theatre Youth Camp link under Shows and Events at theaternorthwest.com. Youth Theatre Camp, running March 14th to 19th at Theatre Northwest. Tree Canada's National Greening Program is planting seedlings across five regions of the country. BC, the Prairies, Ontario, Quebec, and the Atlantic. They plant in areas that are in need of reforestation or afforestation across Canada. Tree Canada selects sites where appropriate native species will be planted to make sure that natural forests come back to life. To learn more or to get involved, go to treecanada.ca. 
Join your BC Chamber of Commerce Wednesday to learn more about the energy transformation to lower carbon and the importance of Indigenous businesses. Board Chair of the First Nations Major Project Coalition and member of Fort Nelson First Nation Chief Charlene Gale will give the presentation in celebration of Chamber of Commerce Week. Registration and more details are available through the events link under news and events at bcchamber.org. The energy transformation to lower carbon with Chief Charlene Gale. Two o'clock Wednesday through bcchamber.org. Forecast from Environment Canada for today cloudy with a 70% chance of flurries or showers. Wind from the south at 20k, a high of 1, a wind chill this morning to minus 8. Tonight partly cloudy, wind from the northwest at 20 this evening, a low of minus 5 with a wind chill to minus 9. On Wednesday mainly sunny, increasing cloudiness late in the afternoon, wind up to 15 and a high of 4. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and we will go to Herb. Herb, uh, you picked up on Peter there, and what's your take on what's happening right now? Uh, well, I think, you know, Trudeau is kind of uh, stuck between a rock and a hard place, and that's why he brought in this uh, legislation. Look, the, uh, you know, basically... Uh, these protests have happened right across Canada, and to a large extent, they've been um, successfully dealt with uh, in the cities that they've occurred in uh, by the local authorities. And it's only really in Ottawa and in Windsor that um, there's been huge problems. Uh, if you look at uh, at Ottawa, <clears throat> uh, it's been going on almost three weeks now. And um, uh, to show to show you how how badly things have been handled. Um, the uh, the chief of police just just actually resigned uh, 45 minutes ago, and uh, I think he's had three people quit on him uh, during the, during the last three weeks. Because he, he's just he, he's uh, there's been reports of bullying, shouting, uh, not taking advice. So it's it's a total. Um, did he did he say why he resigned? Uh, he he just said he didn't have the confidence of his of his people anymore, which was accurate. And um, so, uh, you know, it, you know, this this is a it's a situation where if the municipality uh, totally breaks down, that uh, someone else has to come to the rescue, and um, it hasn't it hasn't been Doug Ford up until now, so it's going to have to be the feds. And, and I think that's you know, Doug Ford even kind of admitted that yesterday. He just he, he welcomed Trudeau's uh, legislation, and he welcomed the federal help. And of course, there's uh, dangers here to uh, civil liberties and. You know Trudeau will be judged on this, and uh, but I think I've, you know let's hope that he has the best interests of, of us all at heart, and um, he'll be judged on it uh, in the next election. This this uh, legislation only lasts for 30 days, so uh, let's let's hope that he can um, uh, wrap things up here in Ottawa. And uh, yeah, but you know everywhere else in the world, um, New Zealand they had thousands of, of demonstrators in front of their apartment building. Uh, within three days, they arrested 253 people, and um, and the protests largely disappeared. Uh, there hasn't been uh, 100 people arrested yet in Canada, and it's been going on for three weeks. So, okay, you know, just gonna you, you, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, you know, you, you've got to you got to nip some stuff in the bud, and uh, when you, if you let, if you let it uh, metastasize too long, it turns into something much 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 worse. Okay, James is shaking his finger here. He wants to say something. Go ahead, James. Yeah, but you know, you don't you don't got to bring in like an emergency act to do that. There's, I think, there's tools that you could have used to resolve the situation without resorting to 
to an act that sets a precedent. You basically clamp down on any. I, I agree with uh, Peter's comments there. You know, this just sets the stage. And, and uh, you hear a lot of people say, well, the police were already brutalizing Indigenous and old-growth uh, protesters for a long time. Well, you know what? This just kind of legitimizes that. This just says... Um, Okay, so we're going to bring in the Emergency Act against uh, these, uh, you know, these conservative protesters. Well, that just uh, kind of sets the stage to do the same thing to any kind of protest uh, on any side of the political spectrum. And I just, I agree with you, Herb, that, you know, they've kind of screwed up. They, they let it sit too long. And I, I don't understand why they never tried to find a solution earlier. And like, the thought that comes to my mind is, like, why didn't they say, okay, you know what, guys, we're going to put... Uh, we're going to provide you with a big empty lot on the outside of Ottawa. We're moving your trucks there, whether you like it or not. We're going to tow them there if we have to. We're not going to seize them or freeze your bank accounts. We're going to move the trucks out there, and we're going to provide a shuttle service to Parliament Hill every day. And we can truck you guys in there, and you can do your protest, just like everybody else is allowed to protest on Parliament Hill. And uh, But we're not going to have your trucks blocking up the arteries for the residents and the local people because their freedom is important as your freedom you know and then that those kinds of middle ground kind of approaches nothing like that was ever tried with this with this situation it was just and i think trudeau probably thought that he was going to get some points by letting it turn into an untenable situation but i think it's backfired on him at this point well i don't think he was letting it turn into an untenable situation i think there's some pretty canny uh uh, protest uh, organizers who are exploiting the uh, the, 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 the holes between uh, municipal, uh, provincial, and federal jurisdictions. In fact, they were uh, quite blatantly doing that in Windsor with uh, having demonstrators not go on the federally mandated bridge, but stay on uh, municipal or uh, uh, provincial highways. Right. And then, I mean, I and then say... in Ottawa, what they were doing is um, uh, driving around the airport uh, not actually going into the airport, right, to, to block it off, but just creating traffic jams around the airport. And the same thing with parking down in the municipal areas and staying away, away from federally mandated areas. So they, they know what they're doing. They've, they've exploited these uh, jurisdictional uh, uh, differences there on the ground. And, uh, and this is where uh, some of this uh, uh, legislation comes in handy. The RCMP can actually take on both provincial and uh, enforce both provincial and um, municipal bylaws as well as uh, federal ones. You know, uh, if we want to get if we want to get into this type of thing, we we really, you know, if we're having a, a, a rally here, don't you think that I would know that if I went off the sidewalk onto the street that I could have the police come and pick me up because I'm not I'm not supposed to be on the street. That's common knowledge. Anybody's out there having a protest. So, of course, they would go around places where the federal people can't stop them or whatever. That's just normal planning on their part. It's not a conspiracy. The thing is, what we have to, the reality we have to face here is, firstly, get more information because we're not getting it. I just had a quick look this morning, and, and the uh, city of Ottawa had five, six, or seven meetings to figure out how to deal with this problem. And one of the ones, that, the first one that came up was to read the Riot Act, which... I suggest that you read, because there's a lot of power in there of what they could have done. When they read that riot act, you've got 20 minutes to clear the streets, and you can go to jail for 100 years. So, I mean, they've got some pretty solid stuff there they could use, and, they, and of course, they could water it down. And then there was some other act. The third consideration was the Emergency Act, which Ford called. And then after all that was done, and he actually stood up and said, this is what we're going to do. And then... 
a day late and a dollar short, Trudeau shows up and basically says the same thing, but he gives that power to the federal government as opposed to the provincial government. So now you've got RCMP officers who can actually come up and write you a ticket on the local bylaw for being parked in a no parking zone, which they could never do before because it wasn't their uh, point of jurisdiction. And then if you read all the other powers that they've got now that they didn't have before, you better look out. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Eric, uh, you know, just one, one of the things that should be noted is that, uh, you know, this emergency act, you know, is just being brought in now. But, in fact, the Windsor blockade has been sorted out, and, and is, it looks like the Coots one as well. Uh, you know, so basically what we're talking about is a, is a small section of downtown, Toronto, downtown Ottawa, you know, which, yeah, that's a, that's a real problem. But then, uh, you know, like in terms of uh, how to deal with it and so on, right? But it, I, I, I agree with you that it could be. But then you look at this legislation that's being brought in to deal with this, basically what it, what's left is to deal with this, Ottawa occupation, and what it says is public order, and under this new emergency act legislation, public order emergency means an emergency that arises from threats to the security of Canada, and that is so serious as to be a national emergency. Now, that, that's way, way over... It doesn't, doesn't meet the smell test. No. It doesn't meet the smell test in a, in a big way. Okay, we've got to take a break here, Peter. Thanks. Heighten your executive performance with Vantage Point's Executive Lab. This transformational program will elevate your leadership skills to engage your board, staff, and volunteers and move your team towards your organizational goals. Registration and full details are available through the Executive Lab link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. The workshop runs seven consecutive Thursdays starting May 5th. Application deadline is March 24th. Vantage Point's Executive Lab, transforming not-for-profit leadership at thevantagepoint.ca. The National Greening Program, run by Tree Canada, is dedicated to planting seedling trees across Canada in BC, the Prairies, Ontario, Quebec, and the Atlantic. They prioritize planting on indigenous and public lands and planting areas of natural and human-caused disturbance. The trees they plant help filter the air and water and sequester carbon, among other positive impacts. To learn more or get involved, go to treecanada.ca. In recognition of World Schizophrenia Day, BCSS is planning an exciting evening event which will help people better understand what schizophrenia is and its impact on individuals, family members, and the community around them. Make sure you receive information on the event as soon as it's released by sending an email to events at bcss.org. Then reserve the date on your calendar, Wednesday, May 25th. A special evening event in recognition of World Schizophrenia Day from the BC Schizophrenia Society. The next Pro D-Day workshop at Studio 2880 is Zentangles, Monday, February 28th from 9 to noon. Open to ages 6 to 12, Zentangles are pattern works created with pen and watercolors. Registration is available through the Youth Programs pages under Programs at Studio2880.com. A great introduction to creative design, Zentangles, the next Pro D-Day workshop, Monday, February 28th from 9 to noon at Studio 2880, 2880 15th Avenue. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, I had to cut Peter off there a little bit, but uh, just another quote while we're here. The whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed, and then in brackets, and hence clamorous to be led 
to safety <laughs> by hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. H.L. Mencken or something. So yeah, Mencken, yeah. A lot of this stuff is just put it out there, scare everybody, and they'll do what they want them to do. The thing is that this is a, a frontal attack on all our freedoms, and if we're going to sit back and let them do it, we're going to be in trouble down the road. Okay, uh, did you want to yeah, say no, something? Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree James? with you, Eric. Um, uh, you know, I think I think maybe the other, you, you talk about conspiracies or whatever, I think it's probably worth noting that Trudeau might feel like he's lost control of the police or or the uh, the enforcement of this, and I think maybe he's appealing to some kind of nationalist sort of idea that uh, something like the Emergency Act would, would bring in. Um, because, you know, there are a lot of law enforcement people that are involved with this protest, and it, it seems like there is quite a difference in, in how... How the police are enforcing this or not enforcing it, uh, you know, you compare what the Suedin were doing there on their own territory west of town. You know, they've got uh, SWAT teams there with guns pointed at them and chainsawing down the door of their little cabin that they that they built on their own land. Or the Ferry Creek protesters. There's a let's not forget there's a court case going on in Vancouver right now with, with a lot of pretty alarming evidence of you know the police. Uh, using pepper spray on these guys and smashing up personal property and and we're not seeing that happening with with uh with these protesters in ottawa right now like not at all it's like kids gloves are being used and why is that so i think one, one question to ask is is perhaps um the the federal government doesn't really have can't rely on the police to to take care of this protest the way they could rely on the police to take care of protecting the rights of these big foreign multinational pipeline companies okay, okay now uh, Herb you can let you back in there that kind of cut you off there if you want to make a few comments yeah I mean it, it remains to be seen if, uh, if Trudeau is actually going to use any police force uh, tactics I mean I, I think uh, that would probably be a big mistake in Ottawa I think there uh, Christopher Freeland came on last night and was talking about the uh, uh, directly to the people who have vehicles in, in Ottawa that they're going to probably lose their in, uh, insurance, their registration, and their licenses. How, how would and, you like to try that one on for size if they did it here, not that they got the power to do it? Well, they did I mean, it to if, you, if, I they mean. Do it, if they do it in Ottawa, it's a fairly effective threat. And um, if they do it, I mean, there's going to be some truckers there that are going to have problems. Um, making a living so um, what i'm trying to say here if it comes out under the emergencies act and it becomes that the police can do it anywhere in canada they can do it here in prince george and they can do it to you the same as a trucker in ottawa that's the problem with it it's not just site specific well i mean this this is temporary legislation and invoked for an emergency so you mean like they, can't, they can't rely on the police to clear these people out they're going to have to do some, some try some other tactics. So that's temporary, think, temporary I, like I, income tax. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to be worried about me losing my license or registration for uh, for supporting the NDP or liberals or whatever, right? But what if what if you go to a, like uh, what if we do a stop the spray protest? Trudeau has to face the electorate in the next election, and if people don't approve of what he's done, he's not going to get reelected. I agree. That's, I agree, and I think what he's trying to do is be his father. Be the strong man, so that. But, but Herb, what if what if we're down at the forestry office uh, doing a stop the spray protest? Okay, good point. And and you think you think uh, if if we got our we get our licenses stripped, that's going to somehow 
get uh, the people in power reelected? I don't think so. Yeah, like no. we have to we have to understand that you know, like this legislation has been brought in, and right away our rights, fundamental rights across the. I agree with uh, Eric and uh, James, right, in terms of uh, you know, all of a sudden uh, the rights that we think we have we don't have anymore. Like we, this, uh, the implication of this emergencies act legislation really has to be looked at, right? You know, like uh, it, it, like all kinds of lawyers and civil liberty people that they point out be very careful about when you start mucking around with people's rights and fundamental rights the blanket sort of situation and uh, that's the kind of situation that we're in right now like we're under this uh, public order emergency right now which means our our rights are are infringed upon and all kinds of things can happen and precedence is set for the future as well yeah, that's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts. But, you know, the thing right now is, uh, in a sense, the uh, demonstrations started in Ottawa. There's been 2,000 Canadians that have died of COVID, and uh, no one's really paying too much attention to that. And there's a rush to uh, open up our, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the economy, right? So, uh, you know, let's, let's maybe take a look at the bigger picture here and, and get, get uh, things fixed uh, step by step, uh, you know, We've got a. There's another. Another. There's another variant coming. It's. Uh, it's already taken over Denmark, which has no vaccine mandates. They've had forty thousand cases of people getting sick yesterday, and they had uh, forty deaths in a population of uh, five million. So you know there. There's a bigger things on the horizon here instead of, uh, you know, being uh, chicken littles and and uh, worrying about what might happen. Let's let's look at what's actually happening. And yeah, what's happening is that. We we seem to be rushing headlong into uh, abandoning all uh, uh, vaccine mandates uh, or anti anti uh, COVID mandates at a time when we really shouldn't be doing so. Well, I think the problem is uh, the part of the problem is here. It's it's, it's how the Trudeau uh, government and other levels of government have handled this. There's been a lot of decrees and dictates rather than involving the people. You know who are directly affected, like whether you're in the education sector, or the healthcare sector, or the trucking sector. Like I think one of the lessons coming out of this whole thing there is involve the people in making decisions. You know, give give them more power rather than rather than uh, bringing out dictates and decrees and all this from behind closed doors and imposing them on people. Well, I'm sure they wouldn't have tried it if they didn't think they'd get away with it. And it looks like they're doing a, you know. A partial job of getting away, for it, away with it at this time, but a lot of provinces aren't going to go along with it, and a lot of people aren't going to go along with it. And I think we're going to be hearing about this for a long time to come. Agree. So, I don't know. I can give you another quote if you want. Just hang on a sec. This could be the one. I was going to say, Herb, while you were talking about... Uh, Denmark there, wasn't it the the uh, jewel in the crown here just a while back? Weren't they one of the most uh, vaccinated uh, countries in the world? They are, but they still have uh, 10% of people haven't had two, two vaccinations and 30% haven't had three. So that, that's, who, that's where the, uh, the, uh, the new uh, variant is running amok, and it's, uh, it's making a lot of people sick, and it's, it's killing quite a few people. So this is something, you know, we're, we're, everyone's in a race here to, to pretend that we can get back the way things were, but it's not ever going to happen. 
Okay. Uh, COVID's going to be with us for a long time. Okay, we've got to cut her off now, so we'll see you a little later today. Thanks for listening to After 9, and uh, we'll be back uh, next Tuesday with a new topic, hopefully. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George.